It has contributed to the rise and fall of civilizations, from people who have spent their lives searching for it to today's modern conveniences. Every single one of us is a stakeholder in it. G'day, and welcome to Humans of Agriculture. This podcast series is dedicated to discovering more about our food system, from the people involved in it. Along the journey, we'll be meeting people from all walks of life, from Australia and from afar, delving into how our communities and our culture shape what we eat and ultimately who we are. We'll be chatting with producers, the movers, the consumers. Our quest is to have more people, more often, identifying in agriculture. I'm your host, Oli Laleve, and this is Humans of Agriculture. G'day and welcome to episode one. I actually recorded this back in late February. Since then, a few things have changed. I hope during these times of uncertainty, you're looking after yourself and each other. And this conversation brings a bit of a positive distraction Our first guest on the Humans of Agriculture podcast is a pretty amazing guy. He's travelled the world working in some of the most exclusive restaurants. More recently, he's an author, a chef, a hunter, and probably most commonly known as one of the founders of the well-renowned Three Blue Ducks. Mark LeBroy is incredibly passionate about the process in getting food onto your plate. We talk about the role of consumer choice, the relationship of animal welfare and end product quality, and a really cool project that they were part of with Zero Mass Water. Above all, he's a really awesome and down-to-earth guy. So without beating around the bush too much, let's jump into it. Where did the the idea behind the farm in Byron and kind of growing everything locally come about? Well, we we had our restaurant in Bronte first, which is a little Sydney-side cafe um you know just like the next suburb the two suburbs over from bondi beach like stone's throw yeah. um and we you know we opened this little shop up there it was completely dead quiet strip and then you know we had we had a lot of success with that venue and we sort of struck a chord within the community and we realized that being a part of a community was so amazing and that the opening a cafe restaurant it's not just like having a, a business that sells, you know, bed springs or whatever, like, or it, like you, you completely engage with the community, you become a part of their lives, they become a part of your lives, you know, they understand the story and, you know, there's, a, there's some real like emotion attached to it all. So that was really interesting to see. And then, you know, we sort of started playing around in the back garden around, you know, you know, having some bees and growing some veggies and have jobs and herbs and having a couple of chooks and all the rest of it. And the backyard at Bronte just sort of started to turn into a little bit of like a showpiece of what's capable in a regular backyard in the middle of the city or in suburbia, essentially. And then we always dreamed about, you know, imagine what it would be like to, to have a restaurant that could, that was attached to a farm where we could, you know, where we could have like, people who would grow things for us and we could sell it in the restaurant and, you know, and then this opportunity up in Byron came about to, to be involved in, like we were talking about that concept long, long before Byron came about. But um, it just was a really, really good fit for us. So we, we went for it. 
And was that idea something that you kind of brought home from overseas? We were very like anti-corporations at that stage. I suppose we all still are. And we are kind of like, you know, fuck Coca-Cola and fuck Nestle. And like, we don't want to support these types of businesses. And you could always see those products that were entering into the, you know, the businesses that we were working in. Um, so we had all these ideas around like how we would do things. If we had our own place, how we would treat our staff, you know, how we treat each other, what we would do with the food, the attitude and the ethics behind it. And then, you know, sort of even unknowing to us, like we were starting to formulate a business plan when we were just talking about like what we agreed upon, like what, you know, what was our, our morals, you know, like, it's like essentially voicing them out loud. And then, yeah, we, you know, the stars aligned and we found a place in Bronte and we were all back in town at the same time. Like Sam was living at home, but Chris and I were based in Europe, but we were both at home on a holiday at the time. And Sam sort of found this location and, you know, we said, okay, let's go for it. And, and we changed the direction of our lives. Like Chris and I were, you know, planning on going back to Europe to live. Um, and then, you know, Sam sort of changed the course of that and, all of a sudden we're building a restaurant and then we open the doors and we're, you know, we're able to do things the way that we thought was the best way, you know? So um, it was quite cool because we were able to put it into practice and then we didn't realize that it's like, it sort of struck a chord with the community and the general public. And when people started to find out about what we are and what we do and what we stand for, um, they became more interested. I suppose the whole reason why we're talking today is because, of those ideals that were hatched. Turns out that that started to become on trend, but we'd been doing it since the beginning, you know? Yeah, it just stuck true with who you are. Yeah, we just sort of did things our way. It just turned out that like that, like things changed. Like we, we sort of came on the scene in the tail end of molecular, you know? And were, did you hit many roadblocks along the way in those early days trying to Oh, mate, it's fucking roadblock central. Well, it's hectic what you go through. Um, yeah, like navigating the space of, you know, of opening a business at that age, like I was 27 or 28 or something when we first looked at it. You know, like it's like you're young. You don't know shit at that age. It's like and there's no business school that teaches you how to open a restaurant. It's been an amazing learning curve and I think you just seem to be pretty fluid around your decision making and, and you know and, and, and like changing tact if something isn't working. And so have you guys since so you've gone ethical and sustainable kind of since day one, but has it the search for but, but like there's still so much to go. Like it's so far to go. Like I need to make that really clear. Like yeah. we're not all organic, we're not all ethical, we're not all sustainable. Like we kind of can't because we'd be dead in the water. Like the price of that produce is, and it is just far too high for us to take on the chin but we do it where we can but we don't we're not claiming that we are do you know what I mean so it's kind of like we just do the best that we can with our situation and yeah we do buy a lot of things that affect the bottom line you know like we could make more profits if we you know bought a cheaper you know unethical product or you know a GMO product but we steer away from all that stuff and you know, I think that obviously the people that want to engage with 3B Ducks, they understand that as well and they, they want to support that. So, you know, I think the two, the two things go hand in hand, you know, like people frequent our businesses because we have those ethics and then, you know, we've just taken the decision making.
out of it, I suppose you'd say. And so the people, when they're coming in and buying stuff off you and eating in, are they asking those questions around, like, are they, is there a real engagement? Like, some yes and some no. Like, some people just want to come in and have a fucking breakfast or a steak, you know, and they don't give a shit. But then there's other people that are deeply, deeply interested. So I think also you need to be really careful about, like, are you stuffing this stuff down people's throats about where it comes from and what that you know what's happening? Because some people just don't care, but others do. So if the people that do, you need to have that access, like that information that's available for them, yeah. And and the staff that are able to communicate the message, and then for those that don't, they just you know let them enjoy their family and friends or whoever they're with and have a meal and move on to the next stage in their life. You know, that's um, it's pretty mm. important, isn't it? Like there's kind of this. I'm just thinking out loud here, but even around like the climate change stuff, it's like where where's that line between where you're just making white noise and actually getting some cut through and proper conversations around these things? Yeah, like you know, like I just become fearful of that we're just going to see another tax, another tax levy, you know, in you know, placed on us as a society and then our government doesn't really take that many steps towards you know changing the problems so and then it's just like all right well climate change eh? you know like i'm not a climate change denialist or anything like that but i you know like i truly believe that it's it's really it's down to us it's down to like information and consumer choice if you can if you choose to use green energy to power your home then there's going to be more you know more money and more you know there's willingness of power companies to you know instill wind farms and solar panel farms and all that sort of stuff so and solar farms so you know like it's all i think it's all down to us like i don't i just i don't have a lot of faith that the people who run this country you know we're doing too much to make it better for us if you can stick tr- like if yeah if you're putting your money where your values lie you're going to see and there's enough people doing it it's exactly like what you're saying there is people say they'll go to the supermarket and you've got all the right intentions that you don't want to support like these um quick kind of just or the whole plastic movement but then convenience kind of comes in over the top and it's you need that little muesli bowl or you just want that quick takeaway dinner and yeah, kind of ethos is falling by the wayside. Yeah, you're dead right. You're dead right. Like, it's hard. Like, you need to think about things. And we've, because we've become, we live in a world of so much convenience, it's taken out the thought, like, the preparation. Like, we're not, no one's Boy Scouts anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's not like, okay, you've got to put your milk bottles out because they get recycled and the milkman comes and he fills that up with milk. Like, we've lost that whole system, you know? Like we just, you need to go to the supermarket with your with your your carry bag, so you're not using the plastic bag, blah blah. blah. But like in the scale of things, all that stuff's so is so minimal, you know. But yeah. obviously, every little bit counts. A long way from our food is a chat. Though, <laughs> yeah. so. And so for <laughs> you guys, um, how is it? Like, do you get many people reaching out to you on? Instagram and Facebook and whatever, or, or well, like yeah, like much like what's happened with us, you know, like you've reached out to me on socials and said, hey, would you be interested in in sort of communicating with the story of the ducks? You know, and I'm like, sure, you know, like I think that 
there's a response. I have. I feel like I have a responsibility to to do that if somebody asks. You know, like I think I'm really proud of what we've achieved with the business and and you know where we've come and what you know where we've come from and where we're heading to. Um, so I think that to communicate that story to anyone that's interested in finding out about it is is a, is a good thing. Um, I think that to share some of that knowledge to people who are interested in this industry and we see more and more people engaging with hospitality, um, we've got more cafes and restaurants than we've ever had before. So, you know, if you can be of any influence in a positive way around, you know, doing things more sustainably or with an environmental focus and other people that are starting these cafes, you know, jump on board, I think that's fantastic, you know. Yeah. And I'll, I suppose it's probably... Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. I'm going to give a little bit of context around this next question, but so you're saying that around um, you've got this you feel like you've got a responsibility, but do you ever shit yourself when you're kind of, when you're talking out about things? And and I know like if it's true to you, there's always going to be someone somewhere who's going to disagree with you. But so I suppose giving the context of this question for me, it was around this page and for ages um, around humans of ag, I was kind of like, just, I'll just tell the stories of other people. And then putting a video up of myself talking on it, it took me a week to post it because I was like, fuck, I really don't want to do this because as soon as you go kind of public and put kind of your, your heart behind something, you've got that chance where you can get shot down. But has that, did that hold you back at all? Or does it hold you back? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But like, we're cooks, do you know what I mean? And like, you do that every fucking day of your life. You put something up that's got your heart on it you know, that's your creation or, you know, something that's been influenced from an experience somewhere or whatever it may be. And, and you open yourself up for criticism. But I think that when you, when you start to talk about like the bigger issues around sustainability and, you know, our environment and policy making and all that sort of stuff, you've just got to be so careful because if you're, ill-informed you're gonna get so fucking shot down and that's why it's kind of like we've never claimed to be the authority on anything you know like we just do things our way and if you're interested in how we do it and this is the re- and these are the reasons why we do it and this is the information that we have accessible to us so that's why we do it this way you know and if you like that that's great but like we don't claim to be the authority on anything, and I try to make that quite quite clear. And the thing is, the goalposts change all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like at one point, we're told that saturated fats are completely toxic for us, and that we shouldn't do it. And you know, McDonald's goes on a campaign around removing all beef lard to cook their fries, and then later on, you find that 
you know, using the unsaturated fats like refined oils to cook chips in is actually heaps worse for you than cooking it in lard because your body never feels satiated and we use those natural triggers within our body that lets us know that we feel full and now we don't have that because we use refined oils and you all of a sudden, like what was seen as like, a, you know, a health-focused crusade actually turns out to be wrong in the end, you know. It's kind of like... This is what we think right now based on the information that we have available to us. You can't do much more than that, can you? It is, you guys, I reckon, have the hardest job out of anyone. You're the ones that are going to get shot down for what everyone else has done. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything, mate. Like, everything. You're expected to be everything to everyone. And then you see emerging food trends like keto and veganism, and, you know, and you're expected to to be on trend with what's happening with these genres of food and low sugar and low refined and, you know, and like it's, there's a whole world of nutrition out there that, you know, and before it'd be like you make a sauce, chuck a knob of butter into it, you know, swirl it around and send it out the door. It's absolutely life-changing. Like that style of cooking is kind of, we're changing. We're moving away from that a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. And so around the trends, you're changing and bringing, like you're changing the menu and bringing new things to the plate that incorporate it or how's that changing for you guys? Well, like we bring new things onto the menu, like product-wise in which we believe in. So like guys like Provenir Meats, you know, there's a... Oh, yeah, I saw Chris the other day. Um, Yeah, he's a legend. The dude's a legend. And what they're doing is like, it's a game changer. And it's extremely innovative. And then at the end of the day, and like, I get it because I'm a hunter and, and like, that sounds really, like, that sounds really like a wanker. I'm sound like such a wanker, sorry. But like, <laughs> when you shoot an animal, when you, when you shoot an animal that has no stress, um, the eating quality of that animal is fantastic as opposed to, say, an animal that's been like, shot under spotlight or been running or knows that you're there and is scared and has all the adrenaline running through it. So having, you know, having an animal that has no stress has a large impact on the eating quality. But the same thing is transferable into cattle, you know, and when you've got these animals that have been raised with all the best intentions from a farmer who loves his animals or her who loves her animals, um, you've got a situation where these things get lugged on a truck and taken to an abattoir and there's about three or four days of stress that's attached to it and the eating quality of the meat drops off dramatically. But you can have something that's coming from Chris, a provenir, that typically speaking wouldn't be an amazing animal to eat but it has the eating qualities of something that's like had 100 days on grain or you know, being superior aged. And I, like, I am literally blown away with how good the product is that he's got there. And it just so happens that that best, that proper, that, you know, that amazing eating quality product is attached to a hugely ethical process around harvest. So we only use grass-fed products in you know, our three blue dots. Yeah. And because we, you know, we have these arguments about, grass versus grain, grass versus grain, and then you put, you know, you buy a piece of grain-fed meat and you just buy a piece of grass-fed meat, you put them next to each other and you cook them off. And, like, hands down, the grain-fed meat is more tender, it's more fat, you know. And then Chris has come on the scene 
and he's got this animal that ticks all the boxes, but it's so tender and so full of flavor. And it's just like, yeah, I, honestly, I can't sing the dude's praises any harder. Like he's doing an amazing job. You know, the on-site harvesting process, like that process is revolutionary for this country. It takes out heaps of stages. It takes out heaps of stress for the animal, you know, and at the end of the day, what arrives on the plate is of a far superior quality. No, he's, um, sound like an ad. It sounds like yeah, a fucking ad just then, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by Provenir. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose, so I was actually talking mm. with, a, with a friend about this during the week. And how do you manage it, like in this day and age, your, the social aspects of your business with where you want the environmental kind of considerations to come in? And then also, how do you, how you manage that to be commercially viable as well? I mean, Oh man, that's just like that's it's swimming with crocodiles. That question. Um, <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> like we're lucky. We've done really quite well. Like you know, like it's not like we we met with a marketing strategist and we said, okay, this is how we're going to sort of place ourselves. But it is moving into the into a realm where we're starting to see, oh wow, like our brand has value and you know what is our brand and what do we believe in and, and how do we communicate that to the public and how does that influence consumer choice and people wanting to come and be a part of what three blue ducks is and i think we started to move away from being just a restaurant but there's a little bit of it's like there's a bit of a lifestyle that is attached to it like people have you know they affiliate us with a type of with a, t- a particular type of lifestyle and that seems to be on trend at the moment. And have you got a, out of all the restaurants you guys have, do you have a favourite? They change. <laughs> Obviously back in the day, Bronte was my favourite, you know, because it was like the original one. It was the area, it was the platform in which we did, like, we, you know, we, we did it all. We like, that's the, where the story starts. Yeah. Um, I love the food that comes out of Rosary. I love how much, you know, we cook with the fire there. And the wood pizza oven, like the wood fire pizza oven, and um, I, yeah, I, I love those flavors. I love cooking with the raw medium of the fire. Um, and Byron's just scary, you know. Byron's amazing and has access to the most incredible produce of all the venues, I believe. Um, you know, we've got a seafood supplier up there, Freckle. He's a, like a local seafood supplier. And he has direct relationships with guys who are fishing and, you know, he calls you up and says, mate, I've got, you know, Spanish mackerel that's just landed. I've got dollies or, you know, dog tooth tuna or hussar or, you know, flame tail snapper or whatever's running. And you get this fish in the most incredible condition and it hasn't been to a market. It's been bought directly off a boat and supplied into a local area. And, you know, I've, I've never received goods where I need to wait to eat them because they're too fresh, you know, and that's, that's what happens in Byron. You know, the Spanish mackerel come in and it's literally come straight off the boat. It's not, it's nothing's happened. It's still got, you know, it hasn't been gutted or gilded or anything. Um, and, you know, we clean these fish up and then you've got to wait a couple of days because you don't, you can't eat a fish on the day that it's been caught because it's, it's, there's like all this sort of rigor mortis that's going on with it. It becomes real chewy and tough. So you need, to, you need to wait a good 24, 36 hours for it to, to, to ease off and, and 
you know, to become usable. And like, that's just, that's nothing. I've never had to deal with that in a Sydney restaurant, that's for sure. So, and then obviously the produce, yeah, it's just amazing, seriously. Um, and then the produce that's coming off the farm, the guys that are collectively growing there, they're just doing such a fantastic job. And you get to experience the produce in different, you know, life stages of its growing cycle. And, you know, and we just would never be, we'd never have exposure to that before. You know, like you can't buy sweet potato leaves at the markets, you know, but you can you can pick the sweet potato leaves that are, that are coming off, you know, off the crop of the sweet potatoes that are growing and you realise like, wow, this product is phenomenal. Like why is this being put thrown to the wayside? We, you know, we, we serve that and use that within the restaurant. So there's a real connection to to the land. And then the, just the vast quantities of produce that are being grown there, you know, like the garlic that's grown on the farm is honestly the best garlic I've ever eaten anywhere in the world. You know, and there's a guy, you know, this guy, Josh, Josh Dooley, his name is, and he grows the garlic up there and he does like a, he plant, he does all the lettuce mixes for us and he plants, the way that he plants is he plants it mixed and so he just, you know, picks a section and that's the mix, you know, and it's just a real clever way of, of, of growing and farming and, and I was, yeah, I've I got all the time in the world for like. That's cool. There's another thing I want to ask you about and that's out of Byron there, but this is that, um, the zero mass water project that you guys did and then you went and got involved in Murrurundi with the local school. The town was running out of water and the kids. The kids had no water, these poor little tackers. And I actually do a lot of hunting really close to there. Um, and there's a big property that I do a lot of deer hunting out on and, and you know, I go through that area. You know, we were working together with source water and we put some units um, on the roof at the farm so we started this program where people, when they come to the restaurant, they can choose to buy the sourced water and it's a heavy, heavily like mineralized, you know, water that's been extracted from the moisture in the air. It's completely off the grid. It's solar panel, solar powered, sorry. And then the money that's been raised from that, we used to, to install about, I think it was six or eight units um, in Mirandai. So... <clears throat> That's how we. That's how we were able to finance it. You've got a, a product that pulls moisture out of the air and has and creates the most incredible clean drinking water that's mineralized and healthy for you. Um, and these kids at the school, like there was no water coming out of the bubblers and stuff. You know what I mean? It's a little primary school, and I think it's just like it's something that's very basic. You, you know, so when we went down there and we, you know, we we sort of like unveiled it all and you know like they'd had it for a couple of weeks before we get got down there and I remember just like speaking to the to the principal and she just she started crying she was just like she was so happy with with you know that whole initiative between us and source water and I was yeah like it was a bit of a it was a pretty good feel-good moment that's for sure so yeah that, that yeah that was that was a really nice thing to do that one I'm preaching to the converter talking to you but like there's so, it's such a big system. How can I kind of learn more about it and hopefully yeah, little corner of the world? Like the further you dig, you're just like, like with these deer at the moment, you know, we've just had these, you know, vast quantities of land burnt out. We've had a bit of rain and there's heaps of fresh fruit that's coming in. Like the DPI now have decided to up the ante on the deer culling process 
like their decaling plans for 2020. You're just going to see quite literally millions of animals that have been shot and left to rot and, and lay on the ground. Now, if that's not an indication that we have an extremely broken food system, I don't know what is because you've got one of the most nutrient-dense proteins that we have available in this country laying on the ground rotting out, you know, and there's no intention to harvest these animals. The intention is to eradicate. And it's just, it's just, it's fucking crazy. And we live in a world where people still rely on food banks. You know, it's not like we have an excess of food. And that's what I sort of hope to bring to the table with, with being involved with, with hunting and, and using these meats is I'd like to shed some light on just how good these products are and, um, and, and how nutrient dense they are and how good they are to eat and how good they are for you. Yeah. The deer and goats have it just got this negative connotations and then they as you're saying that they're tough, but it's literally all in how they're either A harvested and killed or B in the cooking and if you know how to do both. Mate, right. Yeah, and that was that's kind of like been my goal a bit, you know, when I started this hunting thing. It was like everyone talks shit about these animals and how they're tough and shit and you can't work with it. But like the, the best meals like the best meals that I've eaten in the last couple of years have been from animals that I've harvested myself. And maybe there's, you know, maybe there's like another element in there that helps, that, that influences how good it tastes because it's such a, there's such a, you know, a rewarding feeling around being able to sort of provide. But, you know, like by no means is this a, is this a poor quality or a second, a second quality or second tier protein. It's, yeah. just, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal eating, particularly the Samba deer. They are just delicious. So, you know, and the attitude even in my household and my family is like, you know, when I'm, when we're running low on, on deer meat, it's, it's time to go hunting. There's, it's, you know, it's, it's very considered. Everybody's thrilled with the idea of, that I go out and, and go hunting and bring this meat back and everybody's able to consume it and share it within the family. For me, the hunting side of things touches on so many different elements of 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 my life, and that and I see that it has all been very positive. You know, I, I, firstly, I put food on the table. Um, I have a deep connection to the food that I'm eating. I know exactly where it's coming from. Obviously, I know exactly how it's been treated, but also I have a very deep connection with the environment because I'm spending so much time out in the bush and learning and listening and watching. I think that we just don't have that in our everyday life. Like we don't, do you know what I mean? Like you go down the shops and you pick up a couple of chicken breasts in a polystyrene packet with no skin on it. You have no idea that like it's just this white meat, you know, or yeah. a steak that's already cut for you or whatever it may be. And then to actually, you know, to, to kill an animal and to, you know, to break it down and, you know, and, and cave an animal, like take the skin off it and, you know, remove the organs that are, that are good to eat and, you know, to gut an animal and, and bleed it out and, you know, and you cut the cut, like, you know, part it all out and, and hang the meat and age it. And like, there's just so much like process and ceremony around it. And that was so normal to the men and women of yesteryear. But that's like, oh my God, do you know how to break down a deer? Like, that's amazing. Well, that was a, that was like a skill set that was considered the same as tying shoelaces. Yeah. But we just, we've moved on from all of that. And I think that that 
you know, that time of being together, typically speaking, like with other men and being able to sort of hang out and talk and, and, and be together, we're not socialising over alcohol or drugs or anything like that. You know, where it's very wholesome. We're out in the bush. We set, have a huge sense of purpose. We have a huge sense of, of like of a goal that we want to try and achieve. And then that's shared when we come home and, and put a meal on the table and our family celebrate us for essentially being so clever. It's a really nice feeling, I've got to say. It's a really nice feeling. It's like there's so many times when there's a, there's like, there's an emotional reward that comes from hunting your own meat. You know, there's that reward of like finding an animal. Like they're fucking that hard to find is just to start off with, you know, and then getting yourself into a position where you can take a shot or take its life and then placing the shot well. Then, you know, the ability to harvest well, you know, you've done the job well of like harvesting the animal, nothing's been tainted. And then, you know, you age it well and you see the quality that's starting to form over that sort of two or three week process. You're just like, holy, this is going to be fucking sensational eating, you know, like as you sort of watch the process of what's happening. And then you cut it down and, you you know, you're you know, making your steaks or sausages or salamis or burger patties or whatever. Um, and then you put it on the table and then there's, there's another reward when, you know, you've made a fine meal out of it and you've put it on the table and you've shared it with your family and friends. and you know, and then then they celebrate it, and they celebrate you, and it's like, you know, like uh, now that I've started, and I and I have these attitudes towards it, I I don't think that I'll ever stop. If I'm totally honest with you, there's all this purpose. You know, we're out in the bush. It's a bit, you know, we need to be. It builds resilience. It builds stress. You have, you know, like, you have, you have, you're exposed to stress and and elements of the environment, and you appreciate them. I remember we were hunting up in the Victorian high country and, you know, I hiked for probably five or six hours. I came down and, you know, came down to this riverbank and there was a meadow there and the grass was long and really green and lush and it was winter but it warmed up to probably about 10 or 12 degrees in the daytime. And I remember having some lunch and, like, had some deer salami and some cheese and stuff and, and, I just laid down in that field and had a sleep and I slept so deeply for an hour or so after having something to eat. And, you know, it's just like, you can't, you can't buy those moments. Do you know what I mean? You only get those when you, when you're involved in, when you engage with the environment like that. And it just, it just turns you into such a conservationist because I, I would hate to see that that's gone and I would hate it that my kids don't get to experience anything like that because I feel that it's so, so real so rewarding well that's episode one done and hopefully that's the hardest one to get to you i just love how passionate mark is about bringing to light about some of the lesser known areas of our food system if you're ever in sydney or byron or even brizzy go and check out three blue ducks give them a follow on instagram and facebook they could really do with some love at the moment as for humans of agriculture well We have a bit of time indoors coming up. If you have any ideas for who you'd like to see feature, please reach out. On Instagram, you can find us at humansofagriculture underscore or find us on Facebook. Thanks again for your support and I can't wait to bring the next conversation to you.